Welcome back to Saints Talk Sex. Today we'll be talking about topics regarding the LGBTQI community. This will range from gender and sexuality, inclusivity, and how to be a good ally. To start us off, Ben McCabe is going to introduce us to the LGBTQ community in terms regarding it. Hello, and welcome back. My name is Ben McCabe, and I'm here to talk to you today a little bit about the LGBTQIA2S plus community and what they're all about. You might be wondering, what, what does this long name mean? LGBTQIA2S plus is an acronym for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, or questioning, intersex, asexual, two-spirit, and many other ways in which people self-identify themselves. I'm going to start you guys off with a few terms that might be useful. According to the Human Rights Campaign, these are important to keep in the back of your mind when talking about LGBTQIA2S+. The first is sexual orientation, an inherent or immutable, enduring emotional, romantic, or sexual attraction to other people. And the second term is Gender identity, one's innermost concept of self as male, female, a blend of both or neither, how individuals perceive themselves and what they call themselves. One's gender identity can be the same or different from their sex assigned at birth. The third is gender expression. External appearance of one's gender identity usually expressed through behavior, clothing, haircut, or voice and which may or may not conform to socially defined behaviors and characteristics typically associated with being either masculine or feminine. People in the LGBTQIA2S plus community have been stereotyped for years now. One of my family friends transitioned a few years back and it had a massive impact on my outlook on the whole LGBTQIA2S plus community. I'd like to bring up a story that hits very close to home about one of my family friends. One of my family friends, Natalie Egan, transitioned while being married and having three kids. This was a really surreal, surreal moment in my life as I've never been very close to someone who was transitioning. Not only was it surreal, it was very powerful to, for these kids as well as they now have two moms and have to adapt to that. Natalie, has now made an impact on not only her immediate family, but on people all around the world, as she runs her own business now and has inspired many others to not be afraid to express their gender freely. I highly recommend looking at her Twitter handle and many other social media platforms under Natalie Egan. This personal experience regarding a close family friend is one that taught me so much about the LGBTQIA2S plus community. Number one, never ask a trans person where they are in transition. Do not use language, language that sexualizes LGBTQIA2S plus people. Don't ask about their genitalia. Use gender neutral language to just name a few. There was a great article on Young Post written by Douglas Tam Suck Yuck on personal development I found the other week that touches on different questions to ask 
about what to say and what not to say to your friend if they're coming out. Let's say that one of your close friends decide to come out to you and your other friends, and you say, excuse me, when did you decide to become gay? That right there is an immediate red flag right away, because not just one person decides to be lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, intersex, asexual, two-spirited, or others. It really requires some thought. It can come off as rude, honestly. Why don't you say something like, so tell me about the time you first fancied as a boy or a girl. That right there sounds a lot less intruding and a more polite way to ask someone who is coming out rather than just assuming they switched on one flick, flick of a finger. Another absolute no-go is to ask, what happened to you? You've changed. That right there is something that could maybe be on your on your end because maybe that person did not trust you enough to tell you that they were wanted to come out in the first place. Therefore, think before you act, no matter who you are talking to. That's all I have today from Ben and Saints Talk Sex. Thank you. Thank you, Ben, for introducing us to the LGBTQIA plus community. Now here's on to Eleanor, who's going to teach us a little bit about inclusivity and period tracker apps. If you've ever had your period, chances are you've been advised to note down when it starts and finishes on a calendar or an app. Indeed, knowing about your cycle can be really beneficial to see if there is any disturbance from usual due to pregnancy, for example. Some people even call periods the sixth vital sign alongside blood pressure and respiratory rate. On a lighter note, people with regular cycles can even use that information to plan vacations on days where they are sure to feel at their best. Nowadays, there is a wide diversity of period tracking apps that are available. However, for transgender and non-binary people who menstruate, the choice of an app can be more limited. Indeed, a lot of apps conform to a strict image of femininity and sport pink logos with pink interfaces. Some use only pictures of women, a lot of white women even, and use she-her pronouns or gender language to describe their user base. Many apps also have a resource tab that can be filled with non-inclusive language. All of this can make it hard for transgender and non-binary people to use apps without feeling dysphoric. Not only are periods still strongly associated with womanhood, but period products also keep reminding us of the place periods have in our society as an event portrayed as happening only to women. However, we know that tracking periods is important. So here are the few apps that I have found that are inclusive to transgender and non-binary people. The criteria I use are very simple. No pink interface and logo, gender-inclusive language in the calendar part and resource section, possibility to disable fertility information, and if there are icons for different mood or for the user's profile picture, it must not be of a women's silhouette. Then I found articles about features transgender people would like to have. Reminders of when periods are supposed to start so they don't have to be checking the app and thinking about their periods all the time, and the possibility for the app to be discreet so it doesn't out them. I found only four that fit my criteria, which should tell you how much we need to raise awareness of this issue. I'm going to be presenting them, saving the best for last. So the first one is actually only available if you have an iPhone, but did you know you can track your cycle directly on the health app that is pre-installed? It's really straightforward. You can set reminders to when your period is likely to start soon, and it has no mention of fertility or pregnancy. 
I would say, however, that the resource tab has one mention of using women instead of people as is written in all other articles, but except for that, it is really inclusive, so I still decided to include it because it does the job. The second one I wanted to talk about is Groove. Again, the app is really simple to understand, has a green color scheme, and you can disable fertility and sex mentions. However, if you do decide to use it, the website that is linked when trying to access resources is not as inclusive as the app and uses the term female body a lot, even when it's not really necessary in my opinion. Also, almost all of the pictures are of thin white women. For those reasons, I don't think it's perfect, but I still think it's nice to present different options as you can totally use the app without ever going to the website or the resource tab. Then, we get to the two best ones in my opinion. The first one being Clue. It is an app also used to conduct research on periods as they collaborate with labs and universities, so there is a lot of customability. You can choose to track only periods or add possible symptoms such as mood, hair quality, different type of pain. You can set reminders, disable the fertility part, and the resource tab, although it is limited in the free version, has a very complete LGBT section, written in a really professional way, and completed with a bibliography, so you can do more research on your own. I think this app is really great if you want to learn more about your body and periods in an inclusive and scientific way. Now we are finally getting to my favorite that I found, which is not that surprising as it has been created Planned Parenthood, which is an organization that is very committed to its inclusivity. The app's name is Podon. It has a deep blue color scheme and honestly does not look like a period tracking app from the outside, which I think can be really useful for transgender and non-binary people who might not like people seeing it on their phones and making assumptions. I also love the fact that instead of pictures or silhouettes of women, it is little blue dinosaurs that are used for most illustrations. The resource tab is really rich and entirely free as it pulls from the Planned Parenthood website. You can also use the app only as a predictor with reminder and disable fertility and sex mentions. I found that they also have a front page with information about Planned Parenthood campaigns and news about reproductive health and such, which I think is interesting to hear, like if you enjoy hearing about news concerning your body or LGBT rights. What I found during my research, though, is an app that has an LGBT section on its resource tab, but still calls its user base girls on a regular basis. Many bright pink icons and a real need for everyone to keep pushing their favorite app to be more inclusive, doing suggestion survey or in reviews of app stores. And the problem does not even stop at period tracking apps. Period products in general keep being aggressively gendered. Pads are more often than not covered in pink and flowy packaging, for example. But trans and non-binary people deserve to feel at their best that they can when taking care of important things such as noting down periods. And the language we use around periods has deeper consequences, such as transgender patients being denied the reimbursement of gynecological exams for having an M marker on their medical file. Additionally, period apps, especially those that offer to track sexual activity, can cause other problems in the LGBT community because of the often rigid conception of sex they assume their user base has. Not providing an option to say that sex was unprotected but unable to lead to pregnancy can cause feelings of invalidation in a relationship with, where both parties have a vagina, for example. So we need to keep being mindful about what language we use and also pay attention to the discrimination and world consequences it can lead to when people don't. Thank you, Eleanor, for introducing us to those important resources about period tracking. Related to inclusivity, we're going to move on to Haiti, who's talking about LGBTQ representation in cartoons. Hello, everyone. 
So today we're going to talk about cartoons. I know we all have inner children that remember the happiness of watching cartoons when we were little. But there has been a couple of changes. Political topics have entered cartoons. And today we're going to talk about them. And I'll even give some of my opinions. So cartoons are meant to educate or entertain children. Most of us learned our one, two, threes, and ABCs through cartoons. And most of us were entertained by them as well. But as time passes, cartoons have evolved and they include sensitive and even political topics, like sexuality even. An example of this would be the new DC comic that has thousands of headlines because of its new changes. Superman's son comes out as bisexual, and many diehard fans are freaking out. However, we've already seen representation in other brands. Nickelodeon is notorious for this. In one of their cartoons called Loud House, one of the main characters has gay dads. And even Spongebob has come out as queer, which they posted during Pride Month. Now, why are cartoons including sexuality? Many cartoon creators are bringing in these new topics due to the political climate in many countries, especially the United States. Marvel has already done this by making Captain America a black man in the midst of the Black Lives Matter movement. Not only is this symbolic to political news, but also to these brands because they have imposed traditions and stereotypes through their creations. In a New York Times article, Tom Taylor states, the idea of replacing Clark Kent with another straight white savior felt like a missed opportunity. Now this is so important because inclusivity doesn't only stop with race and ethnicity. Inclusivity should include sexuality, disability, and all things under the sun. This will allow children to relate more to cartoons and see themselves in places that they didn't before, where superheroes don't need to be white and privileged, where superheroes don't need to be straight. And this is crucial for children because not only are they seeing that brands like Marvel are being more inclusive, they can relate more. Maybe children who are questioning their sexuality can see this comic and feel more comfortable within themselves. Inclusivity doesn't only mean race and ethnicity. Now it's important to say that children live on with the cartoons that they watch. What they watch in cartoons usually sticks to them and they'll apply it later on in life. Now let's address some of the opinions and controversy, including different sexualities in comics and in cartoons will allow children to be exposed to these important topics that will help them be more aware in the long run. If children know that sexuality is a spectrum, it removes the stigma and controversy around it. It may even help children to explore their own sexuality as they become older. But it has also received backlash about whether if sexuality should be a part of a child's learning, with some saying that children are too young to be exposed to sexuality. Another claim is that it will confuse children, making them follow the quote-unquote trend of being gay. However, I think we should teach youth about all information. Of course, I will say that there should be an age-appropriate way of teaching, like the gender unicorn poster. But it's important for children to be educated on these topics. It's around them, and they're eventually going to know about them.
So it's great that these cartoons are properly educating them about it, or at least exposing them to sensitive topics around them. Plus, this allows children to have social skills and learn how to interact with people in a respectful manner, how to make sure that they don't misgender someone or say something that hurts someone's feelings. It's important that these cartoons include information that children will use in the long run, that they will need as adults, and that a society needs as a whole to be proactive with one another. We'd love to know what you think. Should cartoons inform our children of sexuality? Or should we keep this information from them and let them figure these things out once they get older? Let us know. And thanks for listening. Thank you, Haiti, for that interesting point about the effect that cartoons have on children's perspectives on inclusivity. Next up, we're going to hear from Eli about how to be a good ally and why it's important. Hello, everyone listening. My name is Eli, and on this segment of Saints Talk Sex, I will be discussing the importance of being a supportive ally, as well as telling my own experience from being an ally. So let's jump right in. My story of being an ally began in middle school. The area in which I grew up in was relatively progressive, but pent-up male aggression mixed with middle school immaturity made the perfect storm for a toxic environment for gay youth at my school. My group of friends were pretty dead set on the idea that gays were subhuman, and while I gained enough self-respect to finally speak up to them about their blatant ignorance, it ostracized me from them until after high school graduation. They didn't respect me enough to listen to what I had to say, and that was very awakening for me. They were just mean kids anyway, and in hindsight it was good for me that I was kind of forced to be distanced from them. But in the moment it was extremely lonely. But eventually I made new friends who shared my views, and I'm still friends with those guys today. Speaking out and being an ally can be extremely difficult, especially in areas where LGBT or being an ally can separate you from the status quo of hate. It is, however, very worth it to be able to sleep at night knowing that you are defending what you actually believe in. The only way that the world can change for the better is through the brave, and it is brave to be an ally in some situations. So what does it even mean to be an ally to the LGBT community? So being an ally entails being a supportive listener and an advocate for the LGBTQ plus community. And it can take shapes in very, very different ways. There are allies who look to build relationships with members of the LGBTQ plus community and advocate for them with the knowledge and respect for the community. And there are those who look to benefit themselves through virtue signaling and making themselves the quote unquote star of the show. You know those people that everyone hated in high school that took credit for accomplishments that just were not theirs? These are some of the people in the latter group. Being an ally does not mean being the loudest at the protest. It is all about learning about the struggles and about the community the history, what's going on now, how certain laws might impact them. 
and using your privilege as cisgender and or a straight person to assist them in their struggles, not for clout, but because it's the right thing to do. Being an active listener can make a world of difference for members of the community who are struggling with their own identities or hate from the outside world. Another important part about being an ally is shutting down microaggressions against the LGBTQ community. Correcting your straight friends about using homophobic slurs can be difficult because you don't want to be isolated. But think about if a member of the community was listening. Your silence could speak louder than the slurs. Radical empathy can take many forms, but defending a group pushed to the fringes of society because of the bigoted is brave and necessary. Even if it means putting yourself on the outs with your friend group, you need to consider if those friends were worth having in the first place. Looking at statistics that represent bullying in middle school and high school, it appears as though 80% of students are called homophobic slurs throughout their time in school, but only 8% of that 80% would classify themselves as not homophobic. I think that that really speaks on the issues of internalized hate, and I think that a lot of that has to do with toxic masculinity. I think that in some situations, if you don't kind of play along with the status quo, then you are put on the outs of your friend group and even your community. And I think that to go forward, we must really work hard on taking a good look at ourselves and seeing if it's worth it to have all of this pent-up hate and aggression towards a group of people that you don't even know. Well, thank you so much for listening, and I sincerely hope that you took something away from the segment, whether it's to be a better ally or reaffirming your position. Thank you. We could all use tips on how to be a better ally. Next, Jessica will be talking about her journey with finding her sexuality, as well as the fact that it's never too early or too late to come out. I joined TikTok in March 2020, along with a lot of other millennials who suddenly found themselves working from home, curious about this app all of Gen Z were raving about. Within a few months, I found myself on late-life lesbian TikTok, the algorithm having figured me out at a deeper level than I even knew myself. Super creepy. Not long after, I began hearing the term comphet, this idea that all romantic relationships are assumed to be between a man and a woman. Having fancied myself a really good ally for years, I was like, well, duh, homophobia, heterosexism, heteronormativity... Makes sense. But underneath the surface of my allyship, something else was happening. In a 1980 essay, Adrienne Rich coined the term compulsory heterosexuality. In it, she presents how the lesbian experience is presented as either deviant or repulsive and critiques the notion that it is a choice women make out of bitterness toward men. She states, the lie keeps numberless women psychologically trapped, trying to fit mind, spirit, and sexuality into a prescribed script because they cannot look beyond the parameters of the acceptable. It pulls on the energy of such women, 
even as it drains the energy of closeted lesbians, the energy exhausted in the double life. This struck a chord deep inside me. I began to wonder, could I be gay? Who am I? Am I a lesbian? Bisexual? Queer? Pansexual? But I've only dated men. But what about all of those girls I kissed at high school parties and in college bars? Was it really not a phase? Was it really not for attention? The popular myths about bisexuality and bi-curiosity swarmed through my brain. A popular LGBTQ trope is that there's a moment early in your youth where you experience a queer awakening. Questions are asked about which celebrity or classmate made you realize you were not straight. I couldn't think of one. I didn't fawn over Buffy the Vampire Slayer or my eighth grade English teacher. In fact, I was kind of boy crazy back then. But here I was, single at 32, with a long line of failed relationships with men behind me. Why couldn't I make it work with any of these men? Why did I always run when things got serious? Why couldn't I picture an authentic life with any of them? The only pictures that flooded my mind when I started a new heterosexual relationship were those of fairy tales. We'd get engaged, then married, buy a house, have kids, happily ever after, right? I was born shortly before the Helms Amendment, which prohibited the use of federal funding for any AIDS educational materials that would promote homosexual activities, passed in a 94-2 vote. Not surprisingly, homosexuality was never presented to me favorably. While the phrase born this way was initially popularized by gospel singer and AIDS activist Carl Bean in 1977, 10 years before my birth, I didn't really encounter it fully until it was reincarnated by Lady Gaga in 2011. But it was definitely an implicit message as I was coming of age. I should know without a shadow of a doubt if I'm gay, because I would have been born that way. But in more recent years, this phrase has begun encountering criticism. New understandings of sexuality as a fluid, ever-evolving part of our lives promotes the idea that it's okay if you don't know right away. You're just as valid if you come out when you're 12 as if you come out when you're 60. Gabrielle Cassell, a queer, inclusive journalist and educator, argues that born this way rhetoric presents a much less emancipatory stance than saying that every human deserves the same rights, period. For me, born this way rhetoric kept me in the closet for far too long. In essence, it reinforced compat ideas, reifying the idea that heterosexuality is the norm, the default setting for all of us. I officially came out as bisexual in June 2020. Some of my close friends knew before then that I was questioning my sexuality, but that summer was the time when I stopped hiding it and opted to live in my new truth. Does this mean I'm done questioning? No. I vacillate between bi, queer, and lesbian labels almost daily. I'm still constantly searching for signs I missed. Watching Gemma join Hannah in the tub on season two, episode four of Girls, for example. I wanted nothing more than a friend who I could share a bath with. Surely that was gay AF. But I'm also coming to terms with the fact that it was okay for me not to know until my early 30s. 
It doesn't make me any less valid in my queer identity. So if you, like me, have been struggling with your identity, I just want you to know that it's okay. You don't have to know right now. There's no one version of your truth. Questioning is just as true as being sure. But you can be gay without having experience. Queerness is a mindset. It's a feeling in your heart. It's not anything you need to prove to anyone else. There's no magical finish line where you'll have it all figured out. There's just life and love. And we're all just trying to make it through the day now, aren't we? So you do you however you do. Thank you, Jessica, for sharing your story. It should inspire many. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of Saints Talk Sex. Tune in next time where we're going to be talking about mental health, disability, and sex ed. Bye! Bye.